Salutations. This is the Untitled Josh Cast, episode number 36. My name is Josh Gershman. And if you listen to last week's episode, you already know that this is part two of our Let's Make a Christmas Movie episode spectacular. So let's roll some opening credits and get right into it. This is our weekly podcast where we discuss what's been going on in our lives and try to have a little bit of fun while doing it. To interact with the show and for updates on future episodes and other fun stuff, you can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at JoshCastPod. You can also catch us weekly at twitch.tv slash untitledjoshcast, where we stream at least once a week, usually Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. By following us there, you'll be notified whenever we go live. And as I mentioned, following us on Twitter and Instagram is also the best place for scheduling updates. If you like what you hear and would like to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash untitledjoshcast. As a quick refresher, my podcast partner, uh, Josh Hammond, will be giving me the title of a movie and prompts keywords to use in creating a unique, one-of-a-kind, totally off-the-top-of-my-head story for that movie. Our producer extraordinaire, Lucy, will be uh, listening along to ring a little bell every time I use one of those words, and at the end, we'll tally up the total scores. Let's go. All right, so your next film, as far as I can tell, does not include Santa Claus, so you're welcome. Well, it says you. I haven't, I haven't created the story yet. That's true. It's the second film that we're going to do in a row from 1964. So okay. that was a really popular year for, you know, drugs. <laughs> um, there's 14 prompts in this one. They are out of control. So good luck. I'm pacing them now because you are going to need a head start on this one. All right. I wish that there was like hold music while I copied and pasted this. It was like, ding. I will say I really did appreciate Gersh's sound effects with the uh, second movie that was done with the rabbit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm a big fan of sound good. effects. All right, here we go. Your words are. Wait, wait, you gotta, give me, you gotta give me the name of the movie first. Oh, the magic Christmas tree. Thank you. From 1964. Which ring name calling turtle tree lightning wishbone weather report turkey the bird yes imdb actually said the bird after turkey black cat haunted house lunch cat in a tree lawnmower wow what a trip now this Right away, this sounds like Elvira. So that's the kind of vibe I'm feeling right now. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, classic, classic film. Um, that's the vibe I'm feeling. Okay, Magic Christmas Tree, 1964. Let's see. Okay, here we go. It's Thanksgiving Day, 1964. There's a witch, and all she wants is for it to be Halloween. Like, she doesn't like Thanksgiving. She doesn't like Christmas. 
she's just like, can it just be Halloween all the time? Now, this is 30 plus years before the Nightmare Before Christmas and before anyone has the idea of like Halloween Town as a thing. So she's way ahead of her time here. But so this she she's like, how can I how can I make this happen? Um, she goes to town hall and she's like, guys, I petitioned to name our town Halloween Town. And they're like, you're crazy. And they're calling her all kinds of names. And it's really getting very nasty. Um, she's just a woman trying to make her place in the world. And uh, the men keep shutting her down. It's very not it's not good. But, you know, there are a lot of misogynism and sexism, uh, sexism in the 60s. Not that there isn't in 2020. But this is what she's facing in this movie. In the 60s, you know, like it was just in movies because they thought it was funny. Not because they were trying to make a comment about society or anything like that. So it's played for laughs, but like you and I know it's not really that funny. Anyway, so she gets shut out. Uh, she goes home. She walks back to her home, slams the door, and lightning just strikes the ground right outside. Like she just manifests it. Boom. On the local weather report on the news that day, the news reporter uh, is like, did you guys see that crazy lightning only at that one lady's house? Weird. Wild. No one really understood why. They didn't really understand how the weather worked in 1964 either. So like it wasn't so much as predicting the weather as it was reporting on what had already happened. You know, that's how it works. It's crazy. Um, the witch goes back home. This is now the following Monday, right? So it was Thanksgiving. Now it's the following Monday. She's still eating leftovers. She still has plenty of turkey left over because she made a whole turkey. Um, Cause like when you go to the grocery store, you just buy a whole turkey and then she comes home and cooks this giant bird in the, in the oven. Um, and then she has it to eat for days. Cause like no one was going to come over, which isn't too popular in town. Um, but you know, she does what she does, what she, uh, she does what she can by Monday through getting through all these leftovers. She finally gets to the wishbone. And so she's like, wait a second, I'm a witch. I can do some crafty stuff here and I can manifest my wishes into reality. So she's sitting down and she's like, all right, how do we make this a thing? She turns to her left. On her left is a black cat. Uh, the cat's name is Spike. He's just hanging out. Spike, he wears a spike collar. That's how you know his name is Spike, right? He's just sitting there. The cat is kind of like the cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch who like doesn't do cat things. He just sits there and annoys you and like tells you things that you don't want to hear. That's what Spike does. On her right is a turtle just in a tank. The turtle doesn't really do anything. He's just hanging out. He eats lettuce, um, just does turtle things. Uh, the turtle, little known fact, is actually the witch's grandfather got turned into a turtle many years ago. And so she just keeps him like turtles live forever. So basically, you know, she just keeps him with him or keeps him with her, you know, just to like just to chat. Um, and she's like, OK, I got to make this thing happen. So she goes outside into her backyard. She takes the wishbone and like she holds it. She hasn't cracked it yet. Right. She like kneels down on the ground. She's doing a little seance and then uh, and then cracks the wishbone and then buries it. And then she's like, OK, and then forget and then kind of forgets about it. You know, it kind of like goes on her business. And uh, 
Then it's the next spring. And the grass has started to grow back. And she's like, all right, I got to I got to mow this lawn outside. So she goes, gets the lawnmower out of the shed, mows the lawn. And then in the spot where she buried the wishbone was a little like a little tiny house had sprouted up right where that was. And she was like, how is there a house in the ground? And so she then like digs it out like she's excavating it. Right. Like she's a, like an archaeologist. And so she digs and digs and digs. And it turns out that what she saw as a house was actually a doorknob of a giant door that was laid down like flat on the ground. So she's now excavated this door that's in the ground of her backyard. She opens the door like she's got enough away where she could open the door and like pull it open. And she falls in to this haunted house. Well, she doesn't know. See, here's the thing. She doesn't know it's haunted at the time. She just thinks it's an empty house. So she gets, falls inside and then like, you know, we ever see like Inception where like gravity shifts 90 degrees. So she, like, she falls in, but then all of a sudden she's on her feet standing upright. It's one of those Inception things. So she's walking around this empty house and it's very spooky. It's very creepy. And then Spike comes walking up behind her, um, except Spike isn't a cat anymore. He's a human. Whoa. And Spike is like, hey, what the hell is going on here? Why can I speak? Why am I suddenly six feet tall? Who are you? What are these things on my hands? What is happening? If you were a cat and all of a sudden got turned into a human, you would be really confused. I think we can all agree on that. And so the witch is like, Spike, you got to chill. I'll explain all this later. He's like, fine, mom, whatever. So the witch is walking around the house, which she has a great idea. She's like, how about I get out of here and I take this house and I turn it into a haunted house and then my house can just be a haunted house all year round and then it will always be Halloween in my town. And then Spike is like, you know what? That's a great idea. I'll help. So he goes, he's like, I'll, I'll go get started. So he goes to leave. As soon as he crosses the threshold from the house back out into the yard, boom, turns right back into a cat. The craziest thing you've ever seen. So like the threshold of this house is some magic portal that turns cats into humans. It's wild. Um, so the witch is like, okay, what can I do about this? She figures out a way to like, Jerry rig the house out of the ground via like a tow truck that pulls the house out of the ground. And so like then it's like sitting on her property. She then bulldozes her actual house because um, she didn't need that anymore. She's got this new house. And she sets up all around it, all the Halloween paraphernalia. And then Spike who he can't go inside the house anymore. He basically just hangs out outside. He like sits on top of the door, like menacingly looking at people and like telling them off and stuff. It's great. It's fantastic. Comedy gold, that spike. And so the witch how has now manifested Halloween for herself by virtue of this magical haunted house. And then whenever she does want someone to talk to, Spike comes inside. So like that's their arrangement. Whenever Spike is like, I'm tired of being a cat, he comes inside he gets his, you know, he does, he, he plays human for a little while so he, they can have some like companionship and they can talk to one another. Uh, and then Spike goes back outside because he's got kids to scare off. The end. Very nice. Uh, 11 yeah. to 14. Um, ring a tree and cat in a tree didn't fit in, but that's okay. Those seem like throwaway descriptions anyway. Um, 
so the script of this is really brief. It says, boy is given a ring by an old witch. He uses the ring along with a magic Christmas tree and grants himself three wishes. That's it. They made an entire movie out of that. Hmm. If you notice that synopsis does not include turkey, turtle, lightning, wishbone, weather report, or any of the things that IMDb has tagged. I don't understand how you can review a film with less words (laughs) than IMDb keywords. But that's that's where we are. That's where we are. Lucy, explain this film. (laughs) (laughs) So I looked up some reviews of this to try and get a better understanding of it. Um, So in the movie, the the child, the the little boy... um, Essentially, he like tries to prove that he is like tough and brave. Um, he goes over to the house of an old lady that he believes to be a witch, and she has a cat stuck in a tree. So he is like, "Oh, I will go and help." Um, as he's trying to get the cat out of the tree, apparently he falls and smacks his head on the floor. And while most people would think like, or on the ground, um, while most people would think like something probably happened to the kid. Um, instead the movie continues, but it has now switched from black and white into color. Um, in oh, so it, it's like a, it's like a, uh, uh, wizard of Oz kind of thing. It is like the wizard of Oz meets Jack and the Beanstalk. Okay. Um, because in it, the old lady gives him the, the ring. Um, although when I looked this up, it also said a seed. So I'm not entirely sure how that worked out. Um, gave him a thing. Uh, and he digs it or, uh, buries it, it, because that is what she tells him to do. She also tells him to say a certain spell. Um, when he does that, uh, it then grows into a tree and it is capable of giving him three wishes, which he uses, um, to his advantage, very selfishly. His first wish is that, uh, he, wants things around him to do as he tells them. The second wish is that he wants Santa all to himself on Christmas Eve so that he can get everything he wants. Um, eventually, he, I, I guess, realizes that it's selfish and some other things might have happened. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but he uses his last wish to return Santa to all of the other children of the world. Um, while I do not have any other fun facts about this movie, I did pull another review because I thought it was worth mentioning. So the first one is just the title of a review that was on IMDb that literally said, don't inhale may cause brain damage. (laughs) Then there was another review I found on a different website about this movie. This is what it says. Have you ever watched your dad try to start a a lawnmower for 15 minutes and thought this would make a great movie? Or wanted to watch a slow-motion, repetitive anarchy on the main street of a small town? Have you ever hallucinated because you suffered a concussion after falling out of an old woman's tree? Have you ever been threatened into a life of grim slavery by a sexually ambiguous giant? Have you ever wanted to watch someone dig a hole for 20 minutes? Have you ever desired to root for multiple NFL teams, including the Washington Redskins and the Los Angeles Rams, like some kind of sociopath? Have you ever been dissed by a tree? Then, buddy, have I got a movie for you. It occurs to me that I did not mention Christmas at all in my story, with the exception of that I mentioned the holidays in the beginning. So there's, yeah, it, I mean, in part, it really has nothing to do with the holidays other than the fact that he uses his wish to get Santa. Um, the 
ratings on this movie was 18% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes, a 2.2 on IMDb, on IMDb, and once again, another movie that was riffed by Mystery Science Theater. Amazing. I just, think just it's, I, I just think it's hilarious that I forgot the Christmas part of the movie. I um, think they did too. <laughs> All right, so the next film is Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. Hmm. This one is your biggest quest in what we're doing, and also probably the most schizophrenic. <laughs> um, I've put your words in the prompt. I'm going to read them and try not to laugh as I do this. Your IMDb keywords are Krampus, Snowmobile, Child Stealer, Small Town, Hair dryer, double barreled shotgun, dynamite, advent calendar, fully nude male, radiator, gingerbread cookie, ice block, hanging from the ceiling, burlap bag, huge explosion, hockey gear, job training, giant horns, electric fence, police office, sir, police officer. And shipped to order. Hmm. Fascinating. What year did this come out? This is a pretty new film. It came out in. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. 2010. Love it. Okay. I have an, I have an idea for this film. I need to do a little quick Googling. This film clearly stars Nick Cage. It doesn't, but it should have. Um, that's okay. Uh, I, I agree. Like, this is wild. I would um, pay a lot of money to watch a Nick Cage Krampus movie. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Um, wait, I need, I need to make sure I can reference my, what I have just Googled, because it will become very important in just a minute. All right, hang on. Wait, what happened here? My computer is being weird, as computers are wont to do. Uh, okay. Rare Exports a Christmas Tale from 2010. Man, there's a lot going on in this movie. <clears throat> now, here's what happened. Rare Exports a Christmas Tale is actually subtitled The A-Team Christmas. This movie stars Hannibal, Face, B.A. Baracus, and Murdoch as four, uh, four ardent adventurers trying to get to the North Pole to fend off a Krampus attack who is, um, he's trying to take over Santa, uh, trying to take over Santa's village. Um, so, Here's so here's here's what happens. Our four heroes, they start out in a small town. That's where they hang out. That's like where their off mission base is. It's a very small town. It doesn't even have a name. That's how small it is. It doesn't even have a post office. That's how small it is. But that's where four highly decorated secret CIA spec off officers have to go in their downtime because otherwise people will find out about them. Now, 
what they have a lot of in this town are uh, are like off duty police officers. Because like that's also where dirty cops go to also get away from the hustle and bustle of the city. The A team, when the movie opens, they're busy cracking down on a dirty cop ring. Um, what they've been doing is selling imitation advent calendars. Like the calendars, if if you're familiar with advent calendars, like a candy or chocolate or some kind of a toy or whatever in the calendar, and you open it each day and you get a little treat. This undercover, the uh, not undercover, the dirty crooked officer police. My words are failing me. The dirty officer ring. What they had done. Yeah, I'll get there in the end. Um, It was they were basically making drugs out of the advent calendars. And like, that's what they were using to sell drugs on the sly. And uh, they you know how in you know how in. uh in uh, Breaking Bad, they had what, what was the name of like their crazy crystal meth, like the super blue stuff. It was like blue something, right? I think that's right. They had a name for it. I can't remember what it was called. Well, the crystal meth that the cops were selling because they were using advent calendars as the as the mechanism, it was called the it was called the gingerbread cookie crystal meth. Like that's what it was. Like it had a faint cinnamon aroma to it. Um, which you wouldn't think melt, you would, which you wouldn't think would mesh well with highly uh, uh, illicit narcotics, but you know, to each their own. I don't make drugs. I don't make the rules. Um, so anyway, so that's what the A team is up to when they start this movie. They bust down. They bust down the gates of the cop ring with everybody's got shotguns. So it's like two barrels on each shotgun times four. 18 members you got eight barrels of shotguns coming through the doors it's going nuts shit's exploding there's dynamite for some reason nobody knows who brought the dynamite um but it's there right in the middle of the room is just a frozen block of ice so the a-team they're they're around they've got all the cops taken care of they have secured the drugs they've called in reinforcements but before they get there uh face is like guys what the heck is going on with his, his ice? And Hannibal, with his cigar, he's like, don't worry about it. They secret the ice back to their base. The weird thing about this ice, though, is that it never melted. It was just like this super cold, crystalline block. No one really knew what to do with it. So they get it back to their base and they start like chipping away at it. They're like, you know what? Something must be inside. So they break out the hair dryers to try and like try and actually melt this thing. But of course, it doesn't work because it's not melting. But what is effective is just like sh sharp, heavy objects. So they're just like cracking away at this thing. Uh, if I had I, next time, I need to bring a sound effect thing so that I can queue up sound effects of cracking ice on demand. Note to self. Anyway, so they're just cracking away at this thing inside of the of this block of ice because it wasn't it wasn't like totally clear. It was a little cloudy right inside. Once they finally get it open. Is. Uh, as like a little container that's like it, it's like the size of a hockey puck, like a like a couple of hockey pucks stacked together. Right. But it opens. And so they open it. And inside is this letter from Krampus to the dirty cops. So Krampus was trying to get the dirty cops to funnel the gingerbread cookie meth advent calendars up to the North Pole so that Santa would deliver the 
uh, Santa would deliver these calendars out to kids and then everybody would be like, whoa, what the fuck? Santa's delivering drugs. We can't have this. And it would crack down. And that's how Krampus would ruin Santa Claus's reputation. Be terrible for everybody. Can you imagine what would happen if if Krampus was able to bring down Santa Claus? Just chaos and anarchy. So the A-team is like, guys, we got to we got to do something about this. And B.A. Baracus is like, yeah, we got to do something about this. They're all very hyped up because they love Santa Claus. Who doesn't love Santa Claus? So. Our 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 intrepid um, uh, crack team of spec ops officers, the A-team, they make their way up to the North Pole uh, because they have a timetable. Right. Like Krampus, he's like a master supervillain, but he's not too bright. And so in the note to the cops, he was like, be here on this day at this time and then we'll meet. So the A-team is like, we know what's going to happen. So they get up there. They're riding their snowmobiles across the tundra. And it's like this epic. Imagine like this epic shot of just like these four guys cruising in on their snowmobiles. It's amazing. Cinematography in this film. World class. So they cruise up to the staging area where Krampus and his guys are hanging out. And it's like a it's like a fortified base. There's an electric fence around the perimeter. Um, there's all kinds of stuff outside that's like indicative of bad guy base. Right. There's like giant things with X's on them. There's just like guns and ammo just loaded up everywhere. Just stacks of dynamite. It's a you know, it's like your stereotypical bad guy base. So the A team. All right. They're like, guys, we got to sneak in and take this guy down from the inside. I'm like, okay. So face, as you might know, he's, he's a very stunning man, right? So he, he has, he like sneaks up to the front door and he has a calendar of himself, just 12 nude pictures of himself that he slides under the door. Right. And like the, Krampus's henchmen are open it up and they're like, what's this nude guy doing on this calendar? But it is an incredibly effective distraction. It is not a, it's not sexual in any nature, but these guys are just like so confused and dumbfounded as to how this calendar got there and what it's doing. And why is this guy naked? They're really confused. That's like the perfect element of surprise. And so while that's happening, the rest of the A team are like swarming in the back gates. Once they get inside, boom, huge explosion. Turns out, it turns out the gingerbread cookie meth, highly flammable. Who knew? Um, but you know who wasn't there? Krampus. It was just his henchmen. So now the A-team guys, they're like, huh, what's uh, what's going on here? We got to the right spot at the right time, took down the henchmen, took down the rest of the drugs. Well, to be fair, the rest of the drugs exploded, but technically we took down the rest of the drugs. Uh, we use the calendar as a distraction. They're going like they're checking off things off a list. Like this was the mission. These were the optional mission objectives. Use the calendar as a distraction. Blow stuff up. Secure the drugs. Nope. X. They didn't secure the drugs because they blew them up. But they're all very confused now. Um, not the least of which is they're suddenly in a video game and they're like, why? What's happening here? Uh, but Krampus, nowhere to be found. And so they go out back and there is a uh, pickup truck. Uh, and they go to touch the radiator of the pickup truck and it's still a little warm. And they're like, this wasn't our truck. Who who came in? Like, whose was this? And they're like, 
this must have been Krampus's truck. He must have showed up during the raid and then took off, but he didn't take the truck because he didn't want to make noise. And they're like, okay, we got to chase him. So now it's our four heroes chasing off into the woods, into the forest after Krampus because they know he must be out there. And so they're like running through the forest. It's like this big epic thing. It's like it's like the Baywatch beach scene with the lifeguards, except with the A-team in the forest chasing after Krampus. Just picture that in your mind. And so they're running through the woods and they hear a noise off on the side and they turn. And before they can do anything else, this giant moose comes out, these horns, just like amazing giant horns, just runs these guys over. And they're like, whoa, shit, a giant moose. The moose runs off. But here's the thing. The moose was only a distraction. The moose was actually one of the Krampus's child stealing henchmen in disguise. The moose disguise, highly underrated, highly effective. So the moose runs off that way. When they turn back to their right, they see Krampus or they see who they think is Krampus running away, actually back behind them towards the house or towards this facility. So they're like, oh shit, we got to pull a Yui. So they all turn back around to try to get him. Krampus gets up there, jumps into the truck, and drives away. And they're like, hey team, we got to split up. So Hannibal and D.A. Baracus, they go after, uh, they go after Krampus on foot because like there's still a lot of snow on the ground so they could probably run faster than a truck and face and Murdoch. They're like, let's hang out here and smoke cigars. And there must be a helicopter around her somewhere. So the team splits up. Hannibal and uh, B.A. Baracus, they catch up to the pickup truck and B.A. Baracus is, uh, I mean, of course, if you remember Mr. T, he's a large man. So he just like grabs onto the truck and he just like, he just like, pulls it to a stop. Like imagine Mr. T is running up to the back of the pickup truck. He grabs onto the gate, right? And he just plants his feet in the ground. And he, that's how he stops the truck. It's epic. It's Mr. T to a T epic. Okay. So he and he and Hannibal, they get up there and they open the, the they open the door and it's not, it's not a uh, Krampus. It's just a guy. It wasn't even anybody. It was just like a random guy. And they're like, all right, Krampus must've gotten this guy. And they're like, oh shit. That means he's Krampus is still back at the base. So they try to call Face um, and Murdoch back at the base. But as you know, they were just chilling with their feet up, smoking cigars. Uh, and before they knew it, they're all of a sudden captured by Krampus and his remaining henchmen. And so what you see is, is Hannibal's trying to call them on their walkie talkies. And no, he can't get through. He's like, I don't know what's happening. He can't get through. Flash cut to inside the base. Face and Murdoch are tied up in burlap sacks. They can't move. They can't answer the phone. They can't come to the walkie talkies. It's trouble, guys. It's trouble. Now, Krampus, in great movie villain fashion, loves to monologue. So he's going on and on about how he's going to bring down Santa and how he's going to frame it on the A-team. And yada, yada. He's going like... Honestly, the only person who loves to talk more than me is Krampus. Like, that's how much he's going on and on about the plan and about what he's going to pull off and how he's going to frame Santa and how and how uh, the A-team is going to go down. And they're going to be, you know, blacklisted from ever working for the military, any military ever again. It's a pretty long winded speech, as I think you can imagine. Meanwhile, Hannibal and Baracus show back up at the base and they're like, psst. Guys, what's going on? Krampus has left them alone for a little while. And so Face and Murdoch, they're still in their burlap sacks, but they're like by a window. 
And they're like, guys, help us out. Uh, and so Mr. T, B.A. Baracus, he's like, guys, just get real angry and flex your biceps. And then you can break out of the sacks. And they're like, I don't know. That seems like only a you thing. And he's like, no, 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 trust me. You got this. And so like with the power of his mind, B.A. Baracus is able to increase the strength of Face and, Hannibal, and Murdoch tenfold, like just through his mental ability. He's able to like telekinesisly increase their strength. And they're like, huh, I'm starting to feel a little funny. And so inside the sacks, right, they're like cinched up like this. They like flex their muscles all at once and they just burst out of the sack. It's like the Kool-Aid man bursting through the wall. Like that's what it looks like when they burst out of these burlap sacks. And so now uh, at the same time, Hannibal and Baracus, they bust through the door and then it's the four of them together again against um, against Krampus. We're ready for the epic face off. And then boom, the movie's over. I just need to say my favorite part through all of that, which um, no one would be able to know because they can't see this, but there was one part where you mentioned walkie talkies and you picked up your phone yes. as if to exhibit your phone as a walkie talkie. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Look, props are very important in my storytelling. It, you did the same thing with the bunny where when the bunny hit his like you thrust it forward both times. It it makes you me. Made, you made the sound effect, but also like what? Like yeah, you're, people, you're, who, people who can't see this can't see, but you literally made like. Your paws were up. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty great. You got 18 of 21, which I oh think. Oh my God. Wow. I think I'm giving you 19 of 21 because I'm sure you actually fit fully nude male into the <laughs> conversation. I will. So no, I'm I gave him points for that. I was going to say, I gave him fully nude male because you were, you were pretty spot on with that. It was yeah. radiator that I don't remember actually hearing, but radiator. I know he said it. They checked the heat to see if Krampus had used the car by checking exactly the radiator. Right. That's exactly oh, okay. right. I did not hear that then. But yes, I would give fully nude male to the you. Only so ones, what did I miss? The, uh, hanging from the ceiling, job oh. training, and ship to order. Okay. Hanging from, oh man, hanging from the ceiling. Okay. I could have worked that in, but. I really thought you had it. I was, I like it highlighted it because I thought you were going you to did. say that Mr. T was hanging from the ceiling of the truck to stop <laughs> the, the car. I thought it was I, there. I also thought with the burlap bags or the burlap sacks, the burlap sacks were going to be hanging from the oh, ceiling. Oh yeah, that's fair. Well, the actual plot of this is much simpler than what you just did. On Christmas Eve in Finland, Santa Claus has unearthed an archaeological dig. Soon after, children start disappearing, leading a boy and his father to capture Santa. And with the help of fellow hunters in your story, the A-Team, they look to sell him back to the corporation that sponsored the dig. And then there's Santa's elves who are determined to free their leader. Wow. So for this one, not a lot of facts here. However, um, Josh did find what you were referring to with the Breaking Bad drugs. It was called Blue Sky. Okay. And it was blue something. Yes. Um, So this movie uh, taps into, obviously, Krampus, but um, the whole mythology behind that. And apparently it has also been referred to as the original Krampus horror movie. Um, This one... Out of all of our movies, listen, I see Hamcat is currently shaking his head no. That you I'm not saying it is, I'm saying what I read people say 
about this movie. Um, as far as ratings go, this is actually the highest rated movie on this entire list from Rotten Tomatoes. The actual tomato meter score, not the audience, the tomato meter score was a 90%. What? Wow. Yes. That's, and on IMDb, wow. it had a 6.7. Wow. So the, so the, the critics were way in favor of this film. Yes. Fans, not so much. Yes. You know what it didn't have? Mr. Fucking T. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. True. Um, also, uh, film critic Robert Ebert said that this movie was, quote, a rather brilliant lump of coal for your stocking. And he also considered it, quote, an R-rated Santa Claus origin story crossed with the thing. So that's. Um, I love it. That's what I got for this one. Um. I love it. Do you did you mean Roger Ebert? It sounded like you said Robert. I did say Robert, but that is what I pulled up. That's weird. Pretty no, it's Roger oh, it Ebert. is Roger. Correct. Okay. So that was my fault. I might have okay. typed it wrong. To clarify. Sorry, Roger. We personally apologize. I can repeat R- it. R.I.P. Sir. We we know you're listening from the great beyond. Listen, I'm in a lot of pain. To be it's fair, it's, it's it's not your fault. If anybody would appreciate these episodes, it's Roger Ebert. Oh my God. Yes. He's so funny. So funny. Um, all right. This is your final one. Okay. And I want to tell you that I saved the best one for last, but I didn't. You just <laughs> did what the best one was. <laughs> so this one's pretty good too. And it's going to be similar. It has a lot of the same themes. So I'm sure if Mr. T would like to make an appearance, probably good in this one too. It's called. <laughs> Christmas Ice Tastrophe. I love the name. It's from 2014. It was a made-for-TV movie. Okay. There are 19 prompts, including, as every one of these has so far, Small Town, (laughs) Meteor, Book Burning, Flash Freeze, Handshake, Panic, Earth Trimmer, Buried Alive, Frozen to Death, Lighter, Evacuation, explosion. Here's your request from the last one. Helicopter. Thank you. Mayor. Antlers on a car. Death of brother. Flamethrower. Skiing. And the most important one. Punched in the face. All right. Pasting these for you now. You are good to go. Uh, that's the list from the last movie. You are not good to go. <laughs> Why didn't it copy, motherfucker? Come I also just really enjoy see. that in one of these earlier ones, it was burns in the butt. Now you have punched in the face. I like, I like that those actions are the specific keywords. You're like, I want a Christmas movie where someone gets punched in the face. <laughs> that is like a whole genre of to, of to itself. It is. Okay. I have fixed my error. Okay. Christmas Ice Tastrophe, 2014, made for TV movie. Do you have, can I ask what channel it was on? Yes, this was going to be my fact, but it is a sci-fi movie. Okay, okay. I mean, I think we both know where I was headed, Um, which actually that's where I was headed at already. So that's good to know. It's good to know that it was on sci-fi. That will help me out a lot. People can also watch it on Christmas on sci-fi. Wow. Just throw that out there. Okay. Christmas ice catastrophe. Now, 
I have a, oh man, I'm, I'm very, so I'm going to try and against my temptations because I, I want to go one way in this movie, but I'm going to try. Uh, I'm torn, I'm torn. Okay. All right. Here we go. Christmas Ice Catastrophe. 2014. Sci-fi movie original. Whew. Need some water. I gotta hydrate up for this. Okay. Here we go. The movie starts in 1914. A hundred years ago. There's an earthquake. And Tom Cruise is uh, investigating this earthquake. Now, not many people know this. They'd be like, Josh, there, well, there, what kind of earthquake science was there in 1914? Ah, Tom Cruise is a time traveler. He's from 2014, but he went back in time to, via his magic helicopter to 1914. Okay, so like the helicopter, if you recall from Back to the Future, the, he, back, the uh, DeLorean needs to get up to 88 miles an hour. Now, a helicopter is well equipped to get past 88 miles an hour. But what happens is not every time period has helicopters. So you have to be careful. Um, back to the Future got around that because they're like they only went places where there were cars, which I think is a little bit cheating. Um, and then you saw what happened to Back to the Future 3 when they go and there were no cars and they had to hide. It was a hole to do. Similarly, Tom Cruise in his magic helicopter goes back in time, 2014 to 1914, um, to investigate this earthquake. Now, the reason he's doing this is because in the future, in 2014, they have very sensitive, uh, very sensitive tremor technology where they can sense what's coming and they're like, guys, uh, if something happens, you're going to need to evacuate right away. And they get a warning, this early warning system that's uh, telling people that the big one, you know, the quote unquote, the big one is coming. And so Tom Cruise is like, guys, I'll handle this. I'll go back in time and I'll investigate. And it turns out, of course, that it's always 100 years between major events. It's like clockwork, right? And they're like, oh, man, we're coming up on this thing. So Tom Cruise goes back in time to 1914 to investigate the first earthquake. And he gets there and uh, it's super cold. Like they didn't know what was going on. It's just real cold in 1914. Now in he lands and like right away, the helicopter just freezes They're like super quick. Uh, and he's like, oh, I don't know what to do. How am I going to be able to get back? In his kit, he has a flamethrower. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to melt the, I'm going to like defrost this helicopter so I can at least try to store it indoors so it doesn't totally freeze uh, and, and like trap me in the past. So he managed to do that. He covers the helicopter. So it's okay. Uh, he's, he, he's on like the top of a mountain, right? And then a la whatever James Bond movie that was, he starts to ski down the mountain towards the town to like investigate the earthquake. He gets down to, he gets down to the town. He goes to seek out the mayor. The mayor ironically is Christopher Lloyd, like Christopher Lloyd, not, not, uh, not, um, 
Doc Brown, like actual Christopher Lloyd. He's 400 years old. In 1914, he was the mayor of this small town. And he's like, Chris, um, there's going to be an earthquake here tomorrow. Uh, did you know about that? And he's like, of course I knew about that. I'm 400 years old. I know everything. And Tom Cruise is like, OK, well, do we want to do anything about it? And Chris Lloyd, he puts out his hand and he's like, they, and then they shake on it. And he's like, don't worry, wink. I got it all under control. Tom Cruise is very suspicious of this whole thing. But there's not much he can do because like, thankfully, there's no like skyscrapers in 1914. There isn't a lot to worry about. Like everything's already pretty much one or two stories. Everyone's probably going to be fine. Uh, like this wasn't like a major epic disaster. It was just like this was a thing that happened. But of course, it was the precursor to the 2014 major disaster, which Chris Lloyd doesn't know about yet. Tom Cruise doesn't want to like, like you can't tell somebody about the future, even a time Lord, such as Christopher Lloyd. Like you can't tell him because like you can't ruin the time, you know, like you can't like interrupt the time space continuum. So it's nighttime. Tom Cruise is sitting around and uh, talking to Christopher Lloyd, uh, takes out a lighter to light a cigarette. Um, in the future, in 2014, they've managed to remove all of the harmful elements of cigarettes. Uh, and so Tom Cruise is just like chain smoking them like back to back to back. And Christopher Lloyd is like, are you, what is, what are you doing? Aren't those bad for you? And he's like, no, 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 I'm fine. Fine. Um, so he's just sitting around a campfire, smoking cigarettes as one does. Um, and then all of a sudden they start to hear a rumble underneath the ground. It starts low at first. And so like, at first, Tom Cruise is like, hey, is there a truck coming into town? And Christopher Lloyd is like, dude, we don't have trucks. And he's like, oh, this must be the earthquake. It's about to start. So the rumble, the rumble is increasing in intensity as well as increasing in noise. Like it starts off low. And like if you ever hear a truck outside and then you hear it get closer, it's the scientific phenomena known as the Doppler effect, where you hear things getting louder and louder or quieter and quieter as they get closer or farther away, throwing a little science at you today. And so it starts to get louder and it starts to get, um, the shaking starts to get more intense. Uh, and Tom Cruise is getting kind of worried because he comes from the cushy future of 2014 where they have the non-toxic cigarettes and his fancy flying time machines. And he's he, he, like, he's from, he's used to this luxury that he's not getting here in 1914. And he's really confused. Um, so he gets up to like check on the town a little bit. Now, this is like the middle of the night. There's no one like no one's outside. There's a couple of streetlights uh, burning, like, you know, gas lamps burning, but no one's really outside. Um, he walks down. He like he leaves where he and the mayor are just hanging out, goes down to the street, down to Main Street. And he looks down at the end of the street. There's just a giant explosion. And he's like, oh, shit, what the heck was that? So he runs down there and the explosion was his helicopter. His time machine helicopter was ex just exploded in the middle of the street. Now, all of a sudden, we've got two problems. One, he's now trapped in 1914. And two, somebody moved the helicopter from its hiding place to Main Street and then to B, blew it up. So now panic starts to set in on Tom Cruise. This is like, he does the thing that he does in World of Worlds where he looks down at his super fancy Omega watch and he's like, oh shit, I'm running out of time. 
Um, the watch is a classic. It would fit in in 1914 and in 2014. So like that's not out of, that's not like anachronistic. It's just like looks like a cool timepiece. But he does that thing where he's like, oh shit, I'm running out of time. Anyway, getting off track. So now panic is starting to set in here because the earthquake is happening. Like now there's a lot of rumbling. Now the people in the town are starting to wake up. Some of them are running out into the street, like in their pajamas, because again, it's the middle of the night and they don't really know what to do. So Tom Cruise, he goes to further investigate the exploded helicopter. And he finds uh, at the site of the explosion antlers on the ground. And he's like, this is this is peculiar. What is happening here? He doesn't really know what to make of it. And then a couple feet away is like flaming metal that didn't come off of the helicopter because the helicopter was blue. Because as you know, blue is the time travelless color. It was red. It was like pieces of red metal on the ground. And he's like, what? There are no cars or there are no cars that look like this in 1914. What's happening? And he's trying to like, he's trying to figure this out. And he puts on his detective cap, like literally puts on a hat. And he's like, okay, time to figure this out. Also, it's cold out. So it like, it serves two things. One, it's cold. And two, it's his detective hat. So he starts to investigate the exploded helicopter and the weird red metal and the antlers on the ground. It's really very strange. Meanwhile, shit is going bonkers behind him because the whole town is just in an uproar. They're trying to figure out what to do. They're like, we got to evacuate. We got to get out of here. We got to get the horses. Horses, they already left. The horses were like, the ground is rumbling, man. We are out of here. So they have no horses. Doc Brown, meanwhile, no, I'm sorry, Christopher Lloyd, he's Christopher Lloyd, he's not Doc Brown. Christopher Lloyd is like, guys, I've been around a long time. I got it under control. And Tom Cruise is like, dude, you keep saying that. What does that mean? And he's like, don't worry, I got it under control. So Tom Cruise kind of shakes him off. He's a little suspicious at this point. I think we're all a little suspicious at this point of what Christopher Lloyd's motives are in 1914. Um, but no one really knows what to make of it. While Tom Cruise is investigating, he looks up into the sky and a meteor shoots overhead, just like flies overhead, crashes down just outside of town. So now not only do you have the exploded helicopter, not only do you have the earthquake, you also now have a meteor that just crashed outside of town. And oh, by the way, it's super cold outside. So now the science brigade the science breed is really like the Boy Scouts of 1914, but they were they they started out as Boy Scouts and they were like, we earned all the badges. We did all the things. There's nothing left for us to do. So they just renamed themselves the Science Brigade to continue on their adventures. And so it's like three guys that were like, let's just go do shit. Let's just go do science shit. Science Brigade. They go out to investigate the meteor. They get there. They find the same weird red metal that was underneath the helicopter, the crash site. Now, no one knows this yet because the science parade's way over here. Tom Cruise way over here. They come back to town. It is, it is apocalyptic, right? There are people just frozen to death in the street because like they ran out in a hurry and they're like, oh shit. And then they died. It's very sad. So Tom Cruise comes together with the science brigade. They talk about the evidence that they found. They're like, there was this weird, strange metal. And Tom Cruise goes, did you guys find antlers too? And the science brigade goes, yeah, we found antlers too. How weird is that? It's wild. 
Christopher Lloyd, meanwhile, is nowhere to be found. And they start looking around and they're like, guys, what if the mayor is really responsible for this? What's going on here? Turns out, here's the twist. The day Tom Cruise goes back in time to 1914 was Christmas Eve. So it was Christmas Eve night, 1914, that he's there chatting up with the mayor. And then it's like in the wee hours of Christmas morning, 1914, that the explosion happens of the helicopter. Uh, and then the meteor and then all this other craziness. <clears throat> so uh, what they don't know, what Tom Cruise forgot to mention it, or what he forgot to look up is like important historical events uh, when he was going back in time. Usually he's very well read on the subject. And if he's going to go be flying his helicopter back in time, he's usually pretty good about doing the research on the time period. You know, he'll bring the appropriate money. He'll wear the appropriate clothes. He'll do all the stuff so he doesn't stand out. and doesn't cause like a major time space continuum incident. But he didn't do that this time. Because again, in 2014, there was a major earthquake looming, a major inter a major uh, natural disaster crisis about to happen. And he's like, I don't have time for research. I got to go. He pulls out his notebook, though, because he had a notebook on him the whole time. Um, and he finally looks at a research that his assistant had given him. His assistant, long-suffering woman, it's basically Money Penny from the James Bond series, like the long-suffering assistant who never gets any credit. But then finally, Tom Cruise is like, way to go, Money Penny. You got me the research. Her name is also Money Penny. It's just a thing. Don't think too much. Don't think too hard about it. So he looks at the research that Money Penny has given him in the future, and he's like, oh, this earthquake, it did happen, but it was mysterious but there's no mention of any red metal and there's no mention of any meteor. So he now, Tom Cruise now realizes that he is now in an altered timeline of the, of the future that didn't happen because there was no mention of these things. And so Tom Cruise is like, okay, if the past is already different, then I can't screw it up. So I'm just going to, we're just going to Tom Cruise this situation. So he goes into his backpack pulls out guns and ammo and other kinds of science equipment. And he's like, science brigade, take these guns and secure the town. And the science brigade is like, yeah, all right. They go to do that. They secure the town. Tom Cruise takes out all the science instruments. And he's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. He takes some of the metal from the helicopter crash site, which is now cooled down enough to, to like hold and experiment on. The metal, the red metal is from 2014. That means another time traveler has come back in time to 1914. And he's like, How? first of all, why would someone else be back here? There are rules. The time squad has rules. Only one person in a place at a time. Otherwise, shit gets crazy. And two, what was this other person doing? How are they involved in the explosion? So he's like hunched over the crash site. He's doing science experiments and he like, you know, his back's, he's like, his back is to the town and he stands up, turns around, bam, punched right in the face. Now we don't see who did this. Of course, we just see him getting punched in the face and then like carried off the science brigade. Meanwhile, they come back, but only two of the three came back. One of the guys mysteriously disappeared. No one knows what happened. They get back into town. They're looking for Tom Cruise. They can't find him. They don't know where he is. Um, they go to the crash site, though, and they find his notebook. 
because the attacker who attacked Tom Cruise didn't see the notebook there. And they're like, huh, this says Tom Cruise is from 2014. That's weird. This also says that this medal is also from 2014 and it's not the same. That's weird. And then before they know it, uh, they're just standing around this crash site. Christopher Lloyd shows up. And they're like, uh, Mr. Mayor, there's some crazy shit going down. And so the science brigade tells and relays all this evidence to Christopher Lloyd, the mayor of this town. They tell him the whole story, everything that happened, um, that they went to, that Tom Cruise gave them guns and one of their guys disappeared, but now they're back. Christopher Lloyd, this whole time, he's just standing there. He's nodding his head. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's interesting. That's interesting, okay. Um, and, and then he's like, don't worry guys, I know where your third science brigade member is. And they're like, oh wow, you do? And he's like, yeah, he's kidnapped in my basement. He's tied up. And the science brigade is like, what? You're the mayor, you're supposed to be this upstanding citizen. And Christopher Lloyd is like, nah. And he just knocks the guys out. Like one, two punch, boom, boom, knocks them both out. Drags them back to his house. So now we're in Christopher Lloyd's basement, okay? We see four people tied up. The three science brigade guys and Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise is like, uh, hey guys, how'd uh, securing the town go? And the science brigade is like, dude, it was great. We had guns. We felt really cool and manly and macho. And then we got back to town and Christopher Lloyd knocked us out. And he's like, yeah, that's about what happened to me too. So the four of them put their heads together. They literally, they literally put their heads together and they're like, okay, we can get out of this. They also have to whisper really quietly because Christopher Lloyd has like highly sensitive audio uh, recording equipment in the basement. So they don't want him to hear what's happening. So they get, they get real close. They're like, guys, we got to figure out how to get out of here. I'll stop doing that because I'll, I'll be crazy. So they start whispering, they, you know, put, putting their heads together to come up with this plan. Um, Tom Cruise in his boot has like a secret pocket knife. The Science Brigade, former Boy Scouts, what's the Boy Scout motto? Be prepared. They all have pocket knives, but they can't get to their own pocket knives. So everybody like reaches to the left into the boot of the guy next to them and they each get each other's pocket knife and they start to like cut away the bindings that have wrapped and trapped them in the basement. Um, and they they break free. They bust out of the basement into... um into the main, like the living room here, like, like out of the basement upstairs into like the living room of Christopher Lloyd's house. When they get upstairs, Christopher Lloyd's back is to them, but they see him there. Um, and he's somehow, he's wearing, he's wearing a red coat for some reason. Christopher Lloyd turns around and he has a fake beard on and he takes out of his pocket a Santa hat, puts the Santa hat on. And he's like, Tom Cruise, I'm from 2014 too. And everybody's like, what? What's happening here? I arrived just before you did. I killed the mayor of the town, took his place, and nobody was any the wiser because he looks just like me. So no one figured it out. And in 1914, there weren't that many smart people who could like figure this thing out. And people ran out into the street and froze to death. Like how smart are these people? Put a damn coat on. My point is they didn't realize 
that their mayor had been replaced by Christopher Lloyd from 2014. And Tom Cruise is like, okay, but why are you dressed like Santa Claus? And the science brigade is like, who's Santa Claus? He's like, don't worry, don't worry, it's fine. Um, Christopher Lloyd is like, it's a very effective time travel costume. Everyone knows who Santa Claus is. Maybe not these guys, but everyone else knows. Turns out the science brigade were three Jewish kids like myself, and they hadn't been exposed to Santa Claus that much. And they were like, I, I see a red suit here, but I'm not sure. It's a small town too, right? So like they don't, you know, they don't get out much. So it just, ha just so happened that you found the three most Jewish kids in this small town to become the science brigade that were not going to catch on to the Santa Claus hijinks that were happening. And so Christopher Lloyd starts going on <clears throat> about how the earthquake in the future is going to be this great reckoning. Uh, and it's sort of like this great purge. Christopher Lloyd, it turns out in 2014, like got all up into these like conspiracy theory forums. Um, and he was like, no, we gotta, we gotta change the world. And so what happened in reality is reality. Christopher Lloyd in 2014 traveled back in time to 1914, again, right before Tom Cruise showed up to cause the earthquake in the first place, because he knew that if he caused an earthquake in 1914, it would cause a big enough earthquake to happen in 2014 to cause like this mass extinction event where, you know, earth like would be crumbling and lots of people would die because that's that's what he's into. Tom Cruise, meanwhile, is here's here's the story and he's like, I can't let it stand. So he goes to like jump at uh, he goes to jump at. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, but he disappears. He vanishes. Christopher Lloyd's got like some magic happening. So like he's able to like snap his fingers at just the right moment. And then he just like poof, vanishes away. Then outside the door, they hear like this noise. They go outside. It's the TARDIS. Christopher Lloyd is an actual Time Lord. He stole the TARDIS. In this case, the TARDIS, you know what color it is? It's red. Of course it is. It was part of the TARDIS that was exploded outside of the helicopter. The TARDIS, of course, regenerates. So it wasn't like totally destroyed. The TARDIS was the meteor that we saw flying in earlier. So when it crashed down outside of town, that's where other pieces of the red metal came from. And then as soon as it crashed, it was able to like camouflage itself. So by the time the science brigade got there, they didn't see anything other than the pieces of the TARDIS that had fallen off. Now shit's going crazy. Tom Cruise is like, all right, science brigade guys, you got to take my word on this. I need to go into the future and stop Christopher Lloyd. You guys have to stay here and forget about everything that happened in the last 36 hours. You have to give me those guns. You have to forget everything. And they're like, why? What do, what do you mean? And he's like, look, it's a major problem. If you in the past know about stuff in the future, then you're going to have knowledge of things. You're going to bet on sporting events. You're going to make money you shouldn't have made. It's go Everything's going to go wrong if you know anything about the future. And the Science Brigade are upstanding Boy Scouts. And they're like, we got you, pal. Thumbs up. So Tom Cruise is like, amazing. Now, here's the problem. He's still stuck in 1914. His helicopter burst into flames 24 hours ago. Uh, Christopher Lloyd has a TARDIS. That's how he was able to move back and forth through time. He doesn't know what to do. He goes back into the basement. He's like, there must be something in here. There's science equipment. There must be something in here that will help me get back to the future. No pun intended to see, to stop Christopher Lloyd and, uh, protect the people from this earth of uh, this earthquake. 
He goes into the basement. There in the corner is, it seems like you ever walk into a room and it seems like it's, it seems like it should be bigger. Like on the outside, the room feels like it's going to be bigger. And then you walk inside and then it feels smaller. So Tom Cruise's hot, finely honed detective senses go off. And he's like, I bet there's a trap, a secret door panel over there. He's pointing to the other side of the room. He goes over there. He kind of like fumbles around. He finds a secret door panel. It opens up into a garage, a workshop. And there's just like these giant tarps on top of things. And under the tarps, you see like the shapes of giant bulky things. We're pretty sure there's like vehicles or whatever under there. He pulls the tarps off. And under one is like a horse and a horse carriage. Uh, no horses, obviously. Again, as we previously mentioned, the horse is scrammed. And he's like, OK, I can't take a carriage into the future. Under tarp number two is an actual dead horse. And he's like, fuck, can't take this dead horse into the future. Under tarp number three. Are you guys ready for this? I don't think you are. <laughs> Under tarp number three is a flaming red hot rod with antlers on the hood. And he's like, what the fuck is this? Turns out Christopher Lloyd's plan was to also masquerade as Santa Claus, right? Hence the outfit, hence the red TARDIS. That was his master plan. And like, again, it was Christmas Day. Christopher Lloyd didn't know exactly when Tom Cruise was going to come back to try to stop him. Right. He knew the earthquake was happening, but like he had to plan for other contingencies. And so he was like, maybe I'm going to be stuck in this town forever and Tom Cruise isn't going to come back. So I'll just be Santa Claus. So he was working on a secret Santa Claus time machine in this red hot rod roaster with the antlers on the hunt on the hood. Tom Cruise is like, oh, shit, it's going down. Uh, it was, of course, fully functional because why have in to quote the great wait, uh, forget it to quote the cinematic masterpiece Contact. Starring uh, Jodie Foster. Why have one when you can build two for twice the price? Which is my favorite movie quote of all time. So not only did Christopher Lloyd have a flaming hot red, uh, flaming red hot TARDIS. Flaming hot. He had a red TARDIS. He also had a red roadster. That was also a time machine. Tom Cruise gets in the time machine. Uh, zaps himself back to 2014. And like he lands the it's not it doesn't fly. Right. It's not like the helicopter. So the um, the roadster teleport time. It it goes from one location exactly to the same location in 2014, similar to Back to the Future, but different enough where there's no copyright issues. Right. So it goes back into 2014. He drives from where he is to Earthquake HQ. The car is like out of gas. And he's like pushing the car for some reason because he's like, no, this is evidence. I can't leave this on the side of the road. There's no time to call a, call a tow truck. I have to push the car to HQ. So he, he pushes the car all the way, like a couple miles. He has to push this car. He finally gets to HQ. And like right before he collapses, the other guys come out and they're like, Tom, you're back. You're back. What happened? And Tom Cruise is like just beat, just totally exhausted. He's bleeding. His clothes are all messed up. The watch face on his fancy Omega watch is cracked. And he's like, oh, man, that's terrible. Right before he collapses, he gets out with his last breath. Christopher Lloyd is Santa Claus. And then boom, collapses. And everybody there is like, what the hell are you talking about? 
But of course, he's unconscious. So it's now Christmas afternoon, 2014. Okay. Tom Cruise wakes up, jolts out of the bed, rips out the IVs, starts bleeding. And he's like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Put some Band-Aids on. He's going to be fine. He's Tom Cruise for crying out loud. Goes to HQ and he's like, guys, Christopher Lloyd is Santa Claus. And the, the scientists there are like, yeah, you said that and then collapsed. We thought you were just a lunatic. And he's like, no. This is what happened. And then he tells them the whole story about the TARDIS and the meteor and the science brigade. And he's like, man, I should look up the kids of those science brigade guys and give them a medal. He's going to do that later. Tells them the whole story. And he's like, all right, this is what we have to do. We have to stop Christopher Lloyd and we have to confiscate his TARDIS so we can go back in time and stop this before it ever happened. And so uh, Christopher Lloyd, again, is a supervillain in this movie, but he's also 400 years old. So he's a little bit forgetful sometimes. So we then cut to him. He has landed back in 2014, but he has forgotten where he parked his TARDIS. And he's walking down the street and he jaywalks because again, in 1914, there was no jaywalking. But in 2014, they're very serious about jaywalking and he gets arrested for jaywalking. The TARDIS, meanwhile, gets impounded it just so happens by dumb movie magic luck, one of the Earthquake HQ guys happens to see it happen and he follows it and then steals the TARDIS, brings it to HQ. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, meanwhile, he's in jail, hanging out, waiting to be processed. He's just like, man, 400 years and this is how they get me. Tom Cruise, he's like, great, I got the TARDIS. Time to go back in time and save the future. He jumps in the TARDIS, goes back to 1914. Uh, and he's like, all right, here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to do it. He lands in 1914 and the same mountain that he was on the first time. He opens the door. Uh, he opens the door to his TARDIS and he sees his helicopter from a hundred years prior. And he's like, okay, that means I'm already here. Does that mean I'm already here? Am I late? Am I early? What's happening? Christopher Lloyd in 1914 comes up behind him, punches him in the face, fade to black, movie over, setting up the sequel, uh, Christmas Ice Catastrophe 2, The Return of Christmas. The end. I can't believe you made a sequel. <laughs> well, there was a there was clearly a sequel to the to the 18 movie. That's I had true. I had to keep going. I had to make another one. So many sequels. So 16 of 19 on that one. You didn't you book burning. Right. And I think that's probably because you love books and you're morally opposed to even giving anyone that idea. That's true. Um, buried alive and death of a brother. Yep. Both of which will likely show up in the sequel. So I think you're fine. <laughs> there. All right. So I'm going to let Lucy give you your trivia on this one while I tally your overall score. Well, do you want do you want to read what the actual plot was? Do you want me to read it? Um, you go ahead and read that one while I do some math. So the plot for this one, uh, for the movie that actually came out in 2014, is a meteor enters the Earth's atmosphere and splits in two pieces. One piece strikes the center of a small mountain town and immediately starts to freeze everything and everyone nearby. The second piece forms a tropical zone amongst the snow and ice. A university grad student and a local man struggle to join the two pieces of the meteorite back together to save the town and mankind. Um, I do not have many fun facts for this one, other than the fact that it was a sci-fi movie. Um, 
which actually a lot of people said that there were parts of the movie that uh, were representative of the movie The Day After Tomorrow. So uh, See, they felt that's what I purposely tried to avoid because death yeah. of I was like, oh, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be in this movie and then he's going to die and his brother's going to like. So immediately my head went to Day After Tomorrow. Yes. Um, also, character names in the movie included Marley, Scrooge, and Ratchet, which is assumed to be plays on Christmas Carol, Christmas Carol characters, Marley, Scrooge, and Cratchit. Yeah. Um, and then the ratings for this one, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes was a 20% and on IMDb was a 3.8. Wow. What a movie. Truly. All right, you got 75 of the 92 prompts, okay, okay. which comes out to 81%. So okay. you are a B rating on the tomato meter, I guess. Sure. So that's pretty good. I'm, I'm into it. Not quite fresh, but you're up there. Yeah, pretty good. All right, I'll, I'll try to do better next time. 81 is a good, it's a good, or 81% is a good starting point. I think it's a totally fair, fair score. Um, wow. I can't believe, you know what? I got to, my hat is off to you guys for listening to me make up this nonsense off the top of my head. Um, how, uh, how did you enjoy it? I hope the answer is yes, but I'd love to hear your thoughts now that I'm done making up these Christmas movies. It was definitely funny. I enjoyed watching you think about how you were going to fit all of these weird ass words into a conversation. I mean, it's not every day that you can fit burned into, I mean, burned on the butt and umbrella as a parachute into the same field. It makes me think we went into the wrong portion of arts. I feel like we could, <laughs> we could make some pretty fucked up films and be mystery science theater famous ourselves. Yeah, I bet. Truly, I thought, I mean, I think it is surprising. The last movie was so complex compared to Rare Exports, which had more prompts for you. So it was, there. you just dove into so much here. Um, I thought it was so much fun, though. I really enjoyed trying to see you um, fit in a lot of these things, <laughs> like the ones that Josh had also mentioned, but like, I don't know, Minions and Explosions and Thumbelina. Like, or actually, I don't believe you used them. No, Mrs. Molina, but yeah. But Mrs. you used Mrs. Mole. So like there are some that I was just, I was not expecting, but they ended up telling stories. It's not like you just rambled. They actually were cohesive. My pro my issue with this last one is I couldn't, I, I couldn't figure out how it was going to end. That's fair. Like I kept having to make more stuff happen because I couldn't figure out how to end the movie. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, well. I had it. I had the I had the Christopher Lloyd as Santa Claus line. I had that figured out, but I still had to figure out what was going to happen at the end of the movie. But you For did not record. forget that it was Christmas. So right, right. I meant like I managed to to get that back in there. For the record, M Night Shyamalan has made an entire career out of not knowing how to end a movie. Okay, fair <laughs> criticism there. You just have to keep people hanging for an hour and a half, and then be like. It's a glass of water. <laughs> Fade to black. Did you did you yell before you said it's a glass of water? I said surprise. Yeah, Discord cut that out. It's I fine. Cut it out. 
but like the suspense was there in M. Night Shyamalan fashion. The suspense was there. So it worked. It worked. I like that. All right. I'm into it. I think my favorite one of these was the A-Team one. Like I was reading you were you were giving me the keywords and I was like, I what my I struggled making up names other than Jim and Pam from The Office. So, Jim and Pam one was my favorite. Yeah, that was funny. So I was like, I need pre-existing characters I can just put in this movie. And I'm like, this one's perfect for the A-team. So I had to go and remember who they were. That was fun. Oh, my God. OK, this uh, this was super fun as well as really long. Um, but, you know, that's what happens when you're making movie magic. You just like time gets away from you and uh, you're just going to you're just going to run long. That's how it works. Um, I think, I think I owe you the favor of doing this next time. I think this is, the, I think I like this format a lot. It's like the whose line is it anyway of movie making. Um, I like this format. I think I would have fun doing one of these. It would be. We'll figure be good, out, we'll we'll figure out what the best genre is going to be. I will like, give it a think. All of these, like all the, my six movies, there was an action movie. There was like a spy thriller. There was like a rom-com. There was like a pseudo horror movie with the haunted house, but they were all ho- Christmas movies. So like, I think I like that idea because then that theme can work in any genre of film, like any, any like subcategory of film, um, as opposed to like having to make them all one thing. Uh, I like this a lot. I like this a whole lot. Plus, I like the scoring. I like the gamification aspect of this. I do like ringing that bell. That was fun. I I was I was I was hesitant about it at first because I like I didn't know how it was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be like distracting or whatever. It turned out to not be distracting um, because it turns out that when I'm talking, I can effectively drone out anything that's happening, which maybe is good or bad. I'm not entirely certain, but uh, (laughs) I liked it a lot. Like. I was in my head, I would be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to say a word and I'm going to know the bell is going to ring. And like, I would be talking and also make sure to listen t- that you caught the word to ring the bell. It worked. It worked. It was great. It was totally fine. Um, okay. I have literally said too many words and it's time for me to stop uh, so that I can edit this very, very long episode. I think what I'm going to do is actually cut this into two parts. I'll do the first three movies and then the second three movies. Um, and I'll record a little thing when I'm editing it Cool to do that. And so if you're listening to this already, you'll, you'll know that, but like Josh from the past hasn't done it yet. Um, this is super fun. I can't wait to watch die hard next. We're doing die hard next. I'm very excited. I feel like yeah. it's feel like it's been like weeks and weeks of planning and we're finally getting to die hard, which is very exciting. Um, that's what's going to be next. Uh, oh, man. What a time. What a time to be alive when we can sit here and make up six movies without having to actually make them. It's fantastic. That's true. We're All definitely right. not going to go into the negative financially with these movies. No, we're definitely not going to lose money. We're not going to uh, we're not going to have to take on any shady financing deals. It's going to be totally fine. Uh, OK, that's all I've got. Any final words? No, no final words for me. Okay, Liz. Shaking. I was gonna. 
I was going to say yippee-ki-yay, but I can save that for next week. Oh, we're definitely, there'll be a lot of that next week, I promise. All right, that's all for us. Goodbye. Goodbye. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a nice rating or review on Apple Podcasts and or follow on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you happen to listen. Those things would really help us out. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter, both of which are at JoshCastPod and over on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Untitled JoshCast. Once again, if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash Untitled JoshCast. This show is written and hosted by me, Josh Gershman, and Josh Hammond. It is edited by me, and it is produced by Ryland James and Lucy Benetti. The podcast's intro music is Gemini by Alki, and our outro music that you're likely hearing right now is Cautious by Emma Rosa. Both appear on the Untitled Josh cast with permission from the artists. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Untitled Josh cast. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Ooh, I got to be cautious.